Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, December 29th, 2019 called Loved the Wedding, given by Pastor Jonathan Dinger. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. Simeon took the infant Jesus in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. So a number of years ago, it's probably about 20 years ago now, a whole group of Christian churches in Florida got together and they bought billboard signs. And they made these uh, kind of these messages on them that were essentially messages from God, right? So they were like billboard signs from God. So as you're driving along the freeway, you would see this message from God. Here's what some of them said. Let's meet at my house Sunday before the game, God, right? Like that. Will the road you're on get you to my place? God. Have you read my number one bestseller? There will be a test. That love thy neighbor thing? I meant that. Uh, My way is the highway. Oh, here's one that's a little tricky. Remember, this is Florida. Do you think it's hot here? That's a little edgy. How about this one? Keep using my name in vain and I'll make rush hour longer. But here's the one I wanted to focus on. I wanted to share with you just to launch into this. I love the wedding. Don't forget to invite me to the marriage. That's interesting, isn't it? You know, major events in our lives, those kinds of things are are filled with preparation, uh, typically. I mean, many, many of us. And even Christmas is that way too. And in fact, we have a whole season in the church here called Advent, which is dedicated to preparation, just like Lent is a season of preparation before Easter. We have a whole series of weeks in which we prepare. And so I don't know about you guys. Are you, any of you tired? You know, I'm a little tired right now. And, uh, you know, I mean, we had lots of church services and there's events at school and programs, program after program, and there's dramas and there's lights and there's decorations and you try to convert the place into Bethlehem and then you try to get costumes and, you know, you organize all this stuff. And then you guys, you know, you're traveling and you're, you're making dinners and you have, and, and guests drop in and then you have to travel and you have to pack the kids up and off you go. I mean, anybody tired like me? Anybody? It's almost like at a time when you go, you know, can we just move on to something else now? You know? And it's interesting because I think that phrase, I love the wedding, don't forget to invite me to the marriage. I actually use that when I'm doing premarital counseling to folks. Because I say, you know, I said to them, you know, I could have you married here in two minutes if you let me, sitting in my office. We'll just go grab Carol and Teresa and we'll go and I'll, I'll get you married. I can get you married. It's, it's a, we can have the wedding, so to speak. It's the marriage that matters, right? What happens the next day? and the day after that, and the day after that. So you can pull off Christmas, right? You can make a manger, and you can put hay in it, and you can put lights up, and we can sing songs, and, you know, you can do it. But what's the why? What happens next? And that's really what I love about this passage from Simeon, because Mary and Joseph observe the law, they're bringing their son to the temple, little Jewish baby boys, right, circumcised, and then they became sons of the covenant. And then the firstborn son 
was consecrated to the Lord, right? Dedicated to the Lord. And then they made sacrifice. All of that, they're observing the law. They're devout, right? They're faithful. And Simeon is noted as being devout also. So what I wanted to share with you today, because honestly, I am a little tired. <laughs> I just, you know, I gotta, I'm trying to keep my thoughts organized, make sure I share something with you that's, that's meaningful to you. But it's from this Luke 2 passage. And what struck me about it as we go is I wanted to say this, because when I went to seminary, we were taught very, very carefully how to write a sermon, right? And the sermon needed to clearly be law on the one hand. Here's where we've blown it. And then gospel on the other side, here's how God loves us in spite of our sin, right? And that our hope is, is that when you walk out of here, you aren't sitting there saying, oh man, I, I'm really not a very good Christian and I better get on those. We would much rather have you say, what a great Jesus we have. Sorry, I said that with a low voice. What a great Jesus we have. That's our hope. I think that's good. I think it's good. And I pray that almost every Sunday, that's how you hear that. And I hope you hear it today too, but I'm going to turn it a little bit. Let me, let me tell you a story about my father-in-law, who I miss terribly, Teresa's dad, who, um, who was very kind. He was so kind to me personally, but to Teresa and me. When I decided to go to seminary, we, uh, we lived in Seattle. I'd been teaching for seven years. We didn't have any money saved up. I just felt God calling. And um, we decided to go, and he asked me a couple questions about it. He was, he was a guy, we went fishing all the time. He was a guy I could get in a boat, we'd go fishing. And, uh, and he, then, he never said a word. All of a sudden, when we went there, month after month after month, several hundred dollars came from them that kept us out of debt and allowed us to pay bills. For four years, he did that. Never said a word, never... Like, hey, so did you get that money I sent you? Or, you know, hey, I gave you this money. Now can you change the clutch in my car? You know, nothing like that ever. It was, it was just quiet. Do you, have you ever received a gift kind of like that where you are so grateful? It, it, you don't feel an obligation. You know he gave it because he loved what you were doing. He loved what you were about. He loved his daughter and, and, and showed love to me. Have you ever received a gift like that where you, you're not under obligation or burden or guilt? But I just wanted to find ways to tell him how much I appreciated that and how much, what a difference that made in our life, how it, it was such an act of love. Have you ever gotten gifts like that? I pray that that's how Christians receive this gift we've been given here at Christmas, that in an infant Savior, we have a Savior who made a journey that we cannot even begin to imagine from heaven above, who became, who was held in the arms of his peasant teenage mother, in a cattle stall, you know, shepherds, the first visitors, who went to a cross, poured out his blood for us. I'm praying that as Christians, now, I'm at the what a great Jesus we have part, right? So I'm doing it first. What a great Jesus we have. And I think Christians earnestly, genuinely, when that hits you and that clicks in, when that gear clunks into place and you go, I really am loved that much, I actually am that valuable to God, not because I'm so awesome, but because he's so awesome. When that gear finally kind of goes clunk, I think Christians then go, I just, how do I say thank you? How do I love God back? 
Not in a way that earns his love already done. In fact, that would be offensive to God, wouldn't it? Like if someone, if I said to Woody, I know I'm going to pay those back to you, my father-in-law. That was his name, Woody. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to work that off. Because, you know, I don't take no charity. I'm going to pay that back. I, we could have. I could have done that. And he would have been so devastated if I had said that to him. He would have said, I think he'd have said in his mind, how could you be a pastor and talk about grace? And so it's powerful for me. It's powerful for me. And so I'm praying that all Christians have that sense. What can we do? Because what I'm going to share with you next really is about the marks we get from Simeon that show us how to live that life that life in response to that great Christmas gift. You know what the word Christmas means? It's interesting. Christ is a Greek word that means Messiah. And mass meant the mass, right? The celebration of the Eucharist, of the sacrament. And in the Roman Catholic tradition, ancient tradition, that the, body, the bread and wine transformed into the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And so you had Messiah in the flesh. That's what Christmas was about. God in the flesh is in our midst. That's the idea. That's where the word Christmas comes from. So God is with us, that whole idea, tangibly with us, physically with us. It's a baby in a manger. It's not an idea, a concept, or a movement. It's the Christ, God in the flesh. And so the question is, how do we then live in that? Not as an idea that we visit now and then, or we think about or ponder at the beginning of our day, but rather, how does that, how do we live in it? Simeon is an example. So I pray these bless you. I pray, please, I do not mean to burden anyone, but rather to say, I could do those things, and that would, would God be pleased with those things? You see what I'm saying? Because that's the kind of way I want to respond to the gift. Okay, first one is this. If you follow along with, uh, with me here, the response of, of the saved. You know, the word religious has a bad rap, doesn't it? In fact, even in this church, we talk about it a lot. Because the first word is devout. Go ahead, Ty. You can just put that one on. And another word to use that would be religious. You could say religious. You could, you could debate with me on that, but hang with me for a minute. Devout really means, right, disciplined. I do things faithfully, religiously. Like, for instance, I'm devout in brushing my teeth, right? I'm devout in taking a shower. I'm devout in washing my clothes or whatever, right? You, you know what I mean? I'm faithful in those things. I'm religious. I religiously do those things. And we have, and in, the, and in the Protestant church especially, and in modern American Christianity, we've kind of hammered on that. Because Jesus, who did he hammer the most? The most religious people of his day, the Pharisees. Because they were really religious, right? So they wore the clothes all the time, certain clothes, certain way, leather straps on their forehead and their arms, Three times a day, have to bow this way, have to genuflect, give your tithe, go to church every time, synagogue and to the temple, every festival, never miss, never, ever, always discussing scripture, memorizing whole portions. Get me? That's about as religious as you can get, right? Now here's the thing. Look at what it says about Simeon. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. This was a religious man. That's how it begins that. Hey, they're not saying that as an insult, right? They're saying that as, this was a devout man. This guy was devoted, right? That's where we get the word devoted. 
What's the ways that we can respond to this Christmas gift we've received? Devotion, right? To be devout, to be honest, to be religious. Now, you're going to smile when you hear me say that because any of you who have sat in classes of mine know that I have said that is not God's desire. God doesn't want you to be religious. He's longing to have what? A relationship with you, right? A relationship with you. But here's the interesting thing. If you have a relationship with someone, are you not devoted to them? And I think sometimes in Christianity, and I may have been as guilty of this, maybe I haven't taught it well, sometimes I'm afraid we think, oh, if you're in a relationship with Jesus, well, then you don't have to do nothing. That doesn't matter. No, it's not about have to do something. The person who's received the gift of Christ should be saying, Pastor, what do I do? What can I do? How can I do this? Is he, God really loves me that much? Are you kidding? Really? What can I do? And that we should be yearning, longing. For instance, I wanted to find, I can't tell you how many ways, the way I could tell my father-in-law, thank you, and I love to do anything he asked me to do, things we could do together. I just, I, I just loved it. But I would have to get him in a boat in a place where he couldn't escape from me so I could tell him to his face how much I loved him and how much it meant to his daughter and to me that he did that for us so quietly, so generously, so faithfully, and so lovingly. That was my gift back to him. And I know what an impact it had over time. I wanted to tell him how I loved him and show him how much I loved him. And so that's the same thing here too. So let me say this. Here's where religion is awesome. It, when religion is trying to say, trying to earn us a relationship with God, we got a problem. But when our relationship results in devotion to God, what a blessing. Would you agree with me? When our, when our relationship with Christ results in devotion to God, right? So for instance, when we don't ditch worship just because we got a better offer that week. When we're devoted in the Word. When we actually spend time, not out of obligation or burden or duty, but because God has placed this gift in our hand. What a joy. So that that opportunity to be devout is a reflection of our relationship. It honors the relationship. I've said this to you before. Just like when people say to me, okay, you know, like we're doing a memorial service and people go, well, we're going to have this guy speak and this, my, I'm going to speak and this one. And I say, okay, if you're going to speak, can I give you some guidance? And they say, I'm just going to wing it. And then I get mad. Because I say, so you loved your father that little. And I'm not kidding. I'm edgy on this one. When people say this to me, whoever it is, so you loved them so little that you will wing it. Do you get what I'm saying? That you won't sit down and take the time. Or people like, oh, here, why don't you be a lay reader? Why don't you read for us? Like Ruth does a beautiful job. You can tell she, read, she prepares and reads it ahead of time. It's awesome. When people say to me, oh, yeah, I'll be a lay reader. I'll just wing it. And you will not. I don't. Jim doesn't. I think we know the scriptures as well as most of you. We refuse to wing it. And you get what I'm saying? You honor the word. You honor the giver. You honor the person when you prepare. Isn't that what devotion does? So that's the first one. You honor the giver when we're devoted. The second one is this. Oh, there's a story about it. And like flying at Christmas is horrible. So the guys at the airport gets there, and at the Delta counter, the line just goes on forever. And he is just angry and impatient. He's just, he hates waiting. I'm in that group. Hate waiting. 
And so there he is. Finally, he just can't stand anymore. And he, pop, he pops a gasket, goes up to the counter, pounds on the counter, and, you know, and he says, hey, I need some help here. And so the, the gal comes over. She's very, very nice. She comes over. She says, sir, you know, there's a long line there, a lot of people waiting to. And he says, well, he says, and he pounds and he goes, don't you know who I am? And anyway, she stops. She takes a deep breath. She gets on the intercom and she says, there is a gentleman here at the Delta counter who does not know who he is. If anyone knows who this man is, could you please come up? Right. Anyone impatient like me? Right? Um, this Simeon is patient. It's another mark of the saved. It's another mark of the saved. Because we live with immediate gratification, don't we? Aren't we kind of built now that way? I am mad if I can't buy something at 2.30 in the morning. The store's not open or I can't go online. I can't get it to, if my computer won't process it, I'm mad. What, how, how do I deserve to be mad? I'm broken somehow there. Something is wrong in me. And so I'm so impatient. I'm so impatient. And Simeon shows this measure of patience. Let me tell you where I think um, patience reveals itself. I'm going to try to do it. I'm going to tell you I'm going to do a bait and switch on you here. Okay. If I asked you, without prepping you, how many of you hate meetings? The hands would go up, right? How many of you hate meetings? And you know why that is, right? Because so often it's like, oh, we're just meeting to meet. We didn't really get anything accomplished, and it was just stupid, and we talked about our golf game, or we talked about what the weather was like. Or, and it was unproductive. It was worthless. It was stupid, and people argued or whatever, right? I am going to tell you I love meetings because without meetings, very, at this place, very few important things happen. You can Lone Ranger all kinds of things if you want to. But you know what I find out with Lone Rangering things in this place? If you do that, what usually happens is, is I have to come to you later and say, you know what, you did that wrong. Now we're going to back that up and we've got to start over. Because we didn't collaborate on how, what direction that needed to go. So uh, let me tell you why I love meetings. Because if in, our, in a meeting, you can build a team. You can get people to begin to own things. You can share key ideas. You can test your assumptions and prove when things are right or wrong. You can find better ways to do it. You can establish goals and you can bless thousands of people. You should know this. Nothing happened in this Christmas season and nothing happens on Sunday morning without us meeting about it. There is thought behind every single thing we do. Everything. And so that's critical to me. So you might hate meetings. That means you ain't been in many good ones. Because when you're in a meeting that accomplishes those things, and let me tell you what, to have meetings like that, now that's patience. By the way, did you know that you're in a meeting right now? So you get what I'm saying on that. That requires some patience. Because sometimes people don't show, and sometimes people complain, and sometimes people aren't prepared, and sometimes they, they're, they're mad that their idea isn't the one that won. And they're, you know, they take some work, man, and it takes some patience. But God is longing for all of us to meet Him at the manger, that He might fill our lives with hope and grace. And God is longing us to come together, not as a series of lone rangers and independent contractors, but as His own body. Third thing. The response of the saved is trusting. How many of you have been burned by trusting? Hmm. 
Sometimes it's a little thing. You trusted that someone would pick you up on time and they didn't. You trusted that someone would keep their marriage vow and they didn't. You trusted that someone would pay you a salary and they didn't. You trusted that someone who sold you a car sold you a good one and it wasn't or whatever, right? Um, if you've burned, been burned by trusting, it is possible, isn't it, to decide to not trust anyone? Agreed? It's possible. So, Teresa and I are binge-watching a show called The Outlander. Aye, <laughs> Scotland. I'm embarrassing myself by saying that. I actually didn't say it at 8.30 because I was a little embarrassed. Because it's essentially a romance novel, so I'm humoring my wife. That's what I tell her. So, anyway. It's interesting, one of the main characters, he's, he's a Scot, and he's, he's, uh, his name is Jamie, and Jamie Frazier is, um, we're in the season where he has a long history, fights for Scotland's freedom, he's a bit of a rogue, but he's a man of great integrity, all of that kind of thing. He gets burned by trusting somebody. He's in America, and he trusts someone that he hadn't committed the crime that he committed and let him go. And just the very next, just a couple days later, he comes back and almost takes he and his wife's life. And in fact, does kill one of his companions. And he apologizes all over himself to these people. I shouldn't have trusted him. I'm sorry. He apologizes all over himself. And his, his, his uh, nephew says to him, this is why we trust you. Would you trust someone who didn't trust anybody? You get what I'm saying? Would you trust someone who didn't trust anybody? I'm telling you. So you know the song Reckless Love that's out? Have you heard that song? Uh, Reckless Love. I love it. But if you go online and listen to video blogs or, or post websites, there's a whole bunch of Christians who are indignant. They're just incensed of this song. They hate this song because they say God's not reckless because reckless means, you know, foolish, uh, unplanned. Um, extravagant, you know, uh, wasteful. Uh, you know, that's what reckless means. And I go, well, do you really think that we're singing that we think God is wasteful and extravagant and hasn't thought this through and things like that? No, that's not what we're saying. When we sing that song, it's from our perspective as we look at God that, that He's a nut. Sorry. No, no. I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? From our perspective, we look at God and go... You're nuts. You're crazy. Why would you do this on the hope that people would receive your love? Undeserved and unearned, that the lowest of the low, the highest of the high, that you would love them all, that you would sacrifice completely for them. Who believes that? Here's my point. I trust him because he was willing to risk all, willing to trust all. So I love this. Simeon is trusting. He, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die. So here he is waiting, 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 patient, patient, trusting, trusting, trusting. Those are marks of the, of the people of God. Devout, patient, trusting because of the reckless love of God. That's the God that I need. And the fourth one is this. And this is a dumb joke. You, you won't even laugh. It's so many times You've heard the joke. Remember the guy whose who's, his house is flooding and the rivers are rising, and so he climbs up onto the roof. This is an old dumb joke. 
and, and, find, you know, and he prays, God save me. And along comes a guy in a canoe, and he goes, here, come on, jump in. No, no, I'm praying for God to save me. And then the boat comes by. No, no, I'm praying for God to save me. And then the helicopter comes by. No, I'm praying for God to save me, and he drowns. Goes up to heaven. God, he says, God, he says, God, why didn't you save me? God says, I sent a canoe, a boat, and an helicopter, right? Okay, so it's an old, old, old jump joke. But the idea is we are often unresponsive to God, aren't we? Often unresponsive. It's almost like, kind of like we need the heavens to open and angels to sing before we'll buy it. Instead of God saying, I left my fingerprints everywhere, in an infant's cry, in the faith of a teenage mother, in a faithful husband, in a child of David, in a promise made 700 years before, I left you fingerprint after fingerprint after fingerprint, and you had every opportunity to respond to me. As the people of God living in the Christmas life, the Christmas life, to be like Simeon, moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple college. He was ready. He was waiting. He was waiting. He was waiting. And his antenna were up. And so for us to be tuned in, how do all these things happen, by the way? Because I got one more point. How am I doing? Okay. So we got, uh, how does all these things happen? I am telling you, this is not rocket science. So we're your pastors. We would tell you this tomorrow. The best single way for these things we've just talked to you about, being devout, patient, trusting, right, these things, is being in worship together, being in study of the Word together, beginning your day in prayer. This is not onerous. This is not onerous. This is not some great huge burden we're putting on you. You know, I mean, it's so funny. You go back to Greek mythology. Like, I love this with Naaman the Syrian, right? Naaman the Syrian. He goes, is it Elijah or Elisha? I can never remember. It's one of the E guys. So he, Naaman goes, and he wants to get his skin disease, leprosy, healed. And so he says, yeah, go dip in the Jordan River. Go bathe in the Jordan River. He looks at it and he goes, that's a little muddy pothole. I ain't going in there. I got better rivers at home, right? And his servant says to him, if he had asked you to go slay a dragon, you'd have done it, wouldn't you? If he had asked you to go bring back, you know, climb the highest mountain, you'd have done it, wouldn't you? But you won't step into this river that's five feet away from you? You see what I'm saying? And so what I love about this, so he's, what, what is the fourth one? What is the fourth one? Responsive, yeah. So he's responsive. So when God gives us opportunities for us to respond, and so what a prayer that is every day as the people of God to say, Lord, make me ready. Make me ready today. For when you open a door, when you prepare a heart, when you give a chance, when you want to say something or move in me, make me ready to be able to do that. And the fifth thing is grateful. One of the great songs in Scripture, and there's a bunch of them, but one of the great songs, Mary's Magnificat, you know, is a great one. Elizabeth has, uh, Zechariah has a great song. Uh, Moses, Miriam, those guys, they have a great song after the Egyptian army. This is another one. It's in Latin. We call it the Nunc Dimittis. Lord, let your servant depart in peace. Isn't it great? Lord, I can die now. Now I can die. The Seahawks have won the Super Bowl. Not happening, but anyway. Sorry, Carrie. I mean, not happening. <laughs> um, no, what a great song of praise. You know, Jim, a couple weeks ago, beautiful sermon. I really, really touched me. He, do you remember it? He had Mr. Magoo up there, and it was on myopia, having trouble seeing. You know, we can only see this close. And how many people throughout Scripture were that way? Simeon is not one of them. Simeon is not one of those with myopia. I got it bad. 
But Simeon could see the whole picture. You know, you know where I, I, my myopia went away from me? Was, I was so blessed on Christmas Eve because we get to stand up here and at 5 o'clock. I'm not kidding. How many of you were at 5 o'clock Christmas Eve? It was nuts. It was nuts. There were over 600 people here. I mean, we had, we had 200, 250 seats set up in the gym and about 450 seats in here. It was nuts. So 600 people in here. And I'm standing here, and we're singing carols, and I'm looking at this sea of light. And it's not, goodness gracious, if we could have read everybody's mind at that moment, who knows? Who knows? What I do know is that the promise of the world had come and was presented to them. And so I'm looking at that, and then I go home, and I'm sitting with my family, and there happens to be a grandson. <laughs> and I sit there and my myopia all goes away. And I go, it is so easy to count the things that are wrong in this world and in my life. And I forget the things that are great. And Simeon never forgot. That's what it means to live in Christmas. To live in Christmas is gratitude. Simeon simply stood up, held that child up and said, Lord, now I can go. Because of my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have brought for all people. And that's our prayer. That's the prayer of the people who are living in the light of Christmas. What a great, what a great Jesus we have. We'll hold him up. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for this uh, celebration, for the season of Christmas, for all the preparations that went into it. Lord, let it not be the culminating moment. Let it be the launching point, the starting point of a life which we live in you, but a life which you choose to live among us, to save us, to redeem us, and to make us your own. Lord, let us live in that joy and that certainty, with that trust, with that devotion, with being responsive to your spirit, um, and great, grateful, Lord, for your many gifts. Lord, we thank you for your great gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey everyone, Happy New Year from your Grace Lutheran Church family. Um, we just want to remind you that the Spirit Fit Workout uh, continues every Saturday at 8.30 a.m. in the Grace Lutheran High School cafeteria. If you have any questions, you can contact the church office or Delilah Barton directly.